You're listening to episode 44 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Neil Endicott. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everybody, we're back. Welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, my apologies for the uh, delay in between episode 44 and 43. Uh, I went on a uh, family vacation uh, for a bit a few weeks ago, and I also uh, have been working my butt off, uh, you know, every day after work and before work on a huge project um, that's going to end up taking about four months to uh, put together. But uh, I can't reveal it quite yet, but it's going to be a really awesome event that's going to help everybody improve their tennis games, and it's going to be free to to watch as well too so it's going to be uh, just amazing um, and I'll give you guys more details uh, as it uh, comes around which will actually be in uh, late March so yeah I mean with my family vacation it was uh, fantastic I got to chill and rest and uh, I also uh, saw my friend Bill down there and we hung out a bit and uh, what was even cooler as well is that we um, were able to visit the USTA National Tennis Center in Orlando uh, which is a, is a massive uh, facility, 100 courts. And uh, I actually ran into Eric Buderak, which, uh, who is a just a fantastic uh, guy and uh, was a former pro doubles player. Sorry, a f- former professional tennis player, rather. Um, and he uh, did extremely well in doubles. I think he was top 15 in the world in doubles. And um, so we were talking, and I hope to have him on my podcast sometime. And uh, also, I saw a uh, USD Pro Circuit Women's 25K uh, tournament. So, um, you know, that included a lot of top 300 uh, women's uh, tennis players, uh, professional tennis players. And it was also amazing to see Sophie Chang, who is a Maryland native, uh, which is the same state I'm from, and who was also a guest on episode 15 of the Tennis Files podcast. And I don't know if it was uh, my good luck charm or what, but she ended up winning the doubles uh, event. So that's pretty amazing. I think she had like two or three uh, third set tiebreaker wins in that too, which was fantastic. So great to see that. But yeah, it's it's been good. I've been working hard for you guys. And um, today's episode is really fantastic as well because uh, we're going to have Neil Endicott educate us on mindfulness-based tennis psychology. And I've had a lot of you guys contact me saying that your biggest challenge in tennis is actually the mental aspect, whether you're losing focus during matches or you get nervous or, you know, you succumb to the pressure or whatever. Um, But Neil is here on this episode to uh, talk about uh, ways in which you can, you know, improve your uh, awareness and your mental abilities and so that you can play better tennis and more confident tennis. So without further ado, here is my interview with Neil Endicott. Hey guys, warm welcome to the Tennis Files podcast. This is Mirabon and I have the honor and pleasure of uh, introducing Neil Endicott to the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, Neil provides mental training to tennis players around the world using the mindfulness-based tennis psychology method, which is a very unique method that I'm really excited to talk to Neil about. Um, he founded uh, MBTP in 2010, and uh, since then he's written numerous articles about the mental side of tennis and also produced a lot of great content about it. He's also written on uh, big sites like the Huffington Post um, about uh, different players and their mental uh, attitudes and states. And I'm, you know, especially interested in Neil's teachings about mindful meditation and how it has helped, um, you know, so many great athletes uh, bounce back from uh, tough losses and uh, succeed. So, Neil, again, thanks so much for coming on to the show. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Oh, my pleasure as well. Um, so I just want to kind of, you know, dive into how you got where you are today. So, you know, how did you end up becoming a, an expert on the mental side of uh, tennis? Well, I, uh, I mean, I've been a player since I was a kid, a lover of the game, student of the game for a long, long time. And uh, in my mid-twenties, I learned mindfulness, not for anything to do with tennis at all. It was just for work stress. I wanted a better way of dealing with stress in my everyday life. So I learned mindfulness, uh, did a mindfulness meditation course. And I had the unintended uh, benefit that my tennis improved which was a big surprise to me. I wasn't expecting that at all. I was uh, playing with a new kind of freedom, a new kind of flow on court. And crucially, I think for me, I was not so affected by negative emotions, which had been a big deal for me when I was, particularly when I was a younger player. When I was a teenager, um, I struggled a lot with anger on court. Um, I wasn't a racket smasher or anything like that, but I Internally, I felt a lot of anger and frustration when I played, and um, it really limited my game. But I found uh, in this unexpected way, when I did this mindfulness training in my 20s, that uh, my tennis improved, that I wasn't getting bogged down with emotion anymore. So I developed this in my own space on court. I was experimenting with it, thinking, you know, what can I do with this new ability because I was still struggling somewhat from time to time with negative emotions. I was thinking, can I tweak this skill that I've learned in my own game and, and make it better? So I developed new techniques that I used on court, on court practices, short mindful routines that I could use in a match if I was struggling with emotion, if I was struggling with nerves or anything like that. Um, and I also looked into the academic work on this topic, because I, what I didn't realize um, when I first discovered mindfulness, that it's actually not just being uh, taught as a uh, way of reducing stress, but it's also being used in sports psychology. So I looked at the literature, I looked at the sports psychology literature and found a very interesting body of research, which started, I guess it was around 2000, 2001, Psychologists uh, Frank Gardner and Zella Moore had developed a mindfulness-based approach to sports psychology as an alternative to traditional methods, which, in their view, um, were not uh, proven to be effective. So the literature on traditional sports psychology methods, um, you know, did not show uh, efficacy. So they went down a different route. They thought, okay, let's try something a bit different. Let's try a mindfulness-based approach. And that means an approach based on acceptance of your mental experience, as opposed to the old methods of sports psychology, which are based on the idea of changing your mental experience, trying to change it to be better or to be, uh, to be more positive. So, um, I looked at this literature, was impressed with what they were finding out. You know, they were they were they were showing that this was improving athletes' concentration, improving accuracy, but most interestingly for me, it, it was actually improving uh, athletes' ability to play in the zone, which is that sort of fabled place that we all want to get to. It's certainly where I wanted to get to, and I had experienced that in my own life. That learning mindfulness had helped me let go of a lot of negative stuff on court. So. Having looked at the literature, you know, I was developing my own methods and I thought, well, actually, I should, I should share this and see if I can get this to work for other people as well. So I put together the uh, online course, Mindfulness-Based Tennis Psychology course, which uh, I developed in 2010 and that's been available for a number of years now. And many, many people around the world have, have done this course. And over the years, I developed coaching as well. So I now actually spend a good deal of, of, of my time coaching one-to-one. Uh, in, in this method. I work with all sorts of players around the world. Um, and um, uh, I've been just hugely, hugely pleased with the way that this has taken off, that my experience, it was just me on court, you know, 10, 10 years ago when I learned mindfulness, thinking this is interesting. And now it's helping, you know, scores and scores, hundreds of people around the world um, 
So um, that is basically uh, how this all began and how I got where I am now. Well, that's a lot of great stuff. Uh, a lot of great stuff in there, Neil, and I really appreciate that. And uh, you know, when you mentioned the concept of accept, accepting um, thoughts that come in your head versus uh, trying to battle them, that just kind mm-hmm. of—that's very. I like that a lot because it's um, you know, if you try to battle something, you know, you can think of there being a back and forth, and then a lot of um, frustrations. Whereas if you just say, "Okay, you know, I have this negative thought," and this this occurred and then move on. I mean, I think that's obviously a much more productive way to go about things. Um, and we're, you know, obviously going to talk a lot more about this uh, concept and MBTP as well. But I just kind of I'm interested to go way back to when you mentioned that you when you first took that course. Um, mm. it, do you remember, you know, who taught that course or what it was about? I do. Yeah. No, it's actually quite a uh, the course was taught by quite a well-known um mindfulness expert in the UK, uh, a guy called Michael Chaskelson, hmm. uh, has written a number of books on, on mindfulness. No, nothing to do with sports, I have to add. This is all, he, I think his expertise is in mindfulness uh, in the workplace um, and, and general mindfulness. Um, so there was no sports-related content at all to it, and I had no expectation that there would be any benefit for my tennis. Um, so it was a surprise to me that it, that it, that it helped. Um, but of course, it makes a great deal of sense in hindsight, uh, you know, as to why it helped. Because mindfulness is all about learning to notice our mental experience and allow it to be there. Now, that sounds kind of simple in a way, but of course, we don't do that most of the time. We're m- most of the time, we're on a kind of autopilot where we're being driven, if you like, by the thoughts and emotions that are passing through our minds. So, um, you know, when we're in that autopilot state, we have a limited amount of choice about how we react or what we do. Uh, I mean, you see it, of course, all the time, even at the very top of the game, where players lose it, you know, they lose it on court with anger uh, or frustration of some kind, and they just explode. And this can linger in, in some players' games over the course of games or even over the course of most of a match. Um, it's almost entirely counterproductive. Um, and, you know, the, the core kind of mechanism, psychological mechanism that's driving it is that kind of autopilot. It's being driven by emotion, uh, driven by patterns of thought, negative thought generally. And mindfulness is, is, is about developing a, a very particular type of skill. It's about learning how to pay attention to what's going through our minds without judging it. So, I mean, in other words, you could say that it's about learning to notice or knowing what's happening in our minds without getting carried away by it. Uh, it's a simple concept in a way. But it's actually quite difficult to develop, and it takes quite a lot of practice. Um, but anyone, anyone can learn it. Anyone can learn it. Um, and um, so, yeah, it was a powerful thing for me. It was a very powerful thing for me when I when I realised what had happened and why I was suddenly playing with this kind of freedom uh, that I didn't previously have, um, and the tweaks that I made to. Uh, to, to, to the mindfulness that I'd learned was really about making it specific to tennis uh, and, and really understanding the psychological processes that happen on the tennis court um, and noticing the triggers which are happening all the time during a tennis match and working out how you could use mindfulness and mindful routines on court to deal with those things. Right now, that's a lot, a lot of fantastic content in, in what Neil just said. And so, you know, Neil, if you could you know, go back in time and give advice to your 16 year old self, or really anybody for that matter, um, as to what steps they should take if they were having trouble uh, mentally in the game, what, what, what would you tell them to do? Well, if I was speaking to my my 16 year old self, I would say, and of course, actually, now I do speak to a lot of young players these days i coach a lot of young players um who 
many of whom actually in similar situations to me where they were struggling with anger, frustration on court, getting stuck in negative patterns of thinking during matches. Um, the first thing I would say is don't be ashamed to focus on the mental side of the game. Okay, so sometimes players will feel reticent to deal with the mental side of it because they believe it's a, a sign of weakness, that it's somehow like admitting that you're not strong or you're not mentally strong. The way that I uh, approach it is to say that your mental skills are no different to your physical skills, uh, no different to your technique on court. You have to build them. It's the same, you know, if you want if you want to have stronger arms and stronger legs, you've got to go to the gym. It's the same with uh, your mental skills. We're not born, most of us, I think, particularly born with very strong mental skills. There is variation between people in terms of how well they deal with emotion. But... Um, the, you know, the, these are things we have to learn and there's no shame at all in it. In fact, it's the wise thing to do. It takes wisdom to say, you know, I need to develop my mental strength. So, you know, it's a training like anything else. And we, you know, one of the great um, proponents of mindfulness in tennis is one of the greatest players of all time, Novak Djokovic or Djokovic, as you, as you, as you say in the States. <laughs> Djokovic, um, you know, absolutely dedicated to mindfulness. Um, and, um, you know, he sees his mental training as equal to his physical training. It's, it, you know, it's not something which is kind of like a, a bonus or a, uh, an optional extra. It's an incredibly important, integral part of the way that he trains, the way that he plays. So, and, and that's very much the approach that I take to it, which is that this is something that should be um, a core part of everybody's tennis training. I certainly agree with that, Neil. And um, can you give us maybe some insight into as far as what you've seen uh, Novak do in, in his mm. mental training? Well, we don't know a huge amount of detail about what he does in terms of his mental training. But what we do know is that he practices mindfulness and we know why he practices it because he told us, he's told us because, you know, he's one of the very few players who's quite open about his mental training. Most players are pretty tight lipped about uh, mental training. And that may have something to do with what I was saying just now about, you know, it, it being seen as a sign of weakness to train mentally, which of course it's not, but, that may explain why some players just don't don't talk about it. Um, Novak uh, has spoken about mindfulness many times. He's written about it in his book, um, his book Serve to Win, which was published, I think, th three or four years ago. Um, and the thing about Novak, I think, is he's such an interesting example because he is a really emotional player. This is a guy mm -hmm. who has struggled with anger, uh, who struggled with self-doubt. You know, he's told us, all about this, this stuff, you know, the self-doubt was kind of the, um, the sense of inferiority, I think, that he felt when he came up against players like Nadal and Federer early in his career, that feeling that maybe he just wasn't good enough to, to beat them. And the anger, well, we still see that from him, you know, that he's got a fiery personality. So it's not like he's some sort of naturally calm guy. He's actually someone who struggles with anger. He struggles with uh, all sorts of negative emotions, but he's learned a really effective way of dealing with them. Um, and that method that he's chosen is mindfulness. And it's all about learning how to be with the negative emotions that you, f that you feel. Um, and that's something that I think that he's done pretty well. You know, he's not perfect. We, we, you know, we see sometimes that anger gets the better of him. But if you look at his incredible transformation over the years from this, you know, a remarkably talented player who perhaps felt somewhat in the shadow of Nadal and Federer, you know, he transformed into a guy who was just so focused, so concentrated, so good at dealing with the difficult emotions that he experiences, you know. Uh, you know, good, really good examples, uh, I think, are, are those, I mean, so many classic matches now where, where, where Novak has come back from, 
you know, looking like he was down and out in a match. He's managed to come back um, and 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 win from from match point down in in multiple very big matches. You know, of course, the famous Federer semifinals uh, at the U.S. Open. Uh, great match against um, Songer a few years ago at the French Open. Uh, Kevin Anderson uh, match at Wimbledon a few years ago. You know, there are quite a few examples of that where he comes from the brink and has this incredible mental focus. Uh, I think mindfulness has a lot to do with that. Um, and I think he does as well. So it's, it's, it's um, you know, it's a powerful method. And of course, there's no better example than Novak Djokovic to show what mindfulness can do in a player's game. Definitely, Neil. And so one thing that I want to maybe dive into and help, you know, myself understand is, I guess there's um, the thought that some players naturally need to get a bit more pumped up and fired up in order to um, play optimally while others are in a more uh, prefer to play in a more relaxed or calmer state in order to play their best. And can we distinguish kind of maybe the players who need to get fired up versus, you know, this concept that we 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 think of a thought and accept it? I mean, can you kind of Mm -hmm. dive into that? Yes, and it's actually a really good question because it's getting at something which I encounter quite a lot in my coaching, which people will come to me and they'll say, look, I'm interested in the method you're teaching, but I'm a fiery player, right? I like being pumped up and I like being uh, emotional. I like, I like, you know, I like that approach to the game. Sometimes it gets the better of me, but that feels like the way I am, okay? That's what people quite often will say to me. The key thing, about mindfulness is it doesn't actually it doesn't mean that you have to be like some kind of zen master on court it's not that at all it's all about learning how to deal with whatever emotion you're feeling at a particular time on court so you may well be somebody who uh, likes to be pumped up and likes to be kind of energized and that's fine if that serves you well that's really good what mindfulness is doing is it's looking for the moments where uh, being emotional or being pumped up can be a problem. So it's creating uh, a kind of awareness so that you can be as a player aware of what's going on in your mind. If being pumped up serves you well, that's good, but be aware of that and be aware of any moment where that can tip over into uh, an emotional experience, a mental experience, which isn't serving you well. That's what mindfulness can do for you. It's not about becoming uh, an extremely calm person all the time. Um, and, and I think, again, Novak, what a great example Novak Djokovic is of that, because he's just he's not calm all the time. And it, he's, he is emotional. Uh, so it's not about fundamentally changing who you are in terms of personality as a player or as a person. It's about learning how to deal with any aspects of your mental experience on court which aren't helping you. Um, and so, you know, you could be you could be a mindfulness uh, devotee and be somebody who's pretty fiery on court, pretty and somebody who has a very sort of energized, pumped up game. And I think again, Novak, a good example of that. So, um, it, mindfulness skills do not imply that you have to be like a monk on court. Definitely not. There are many ways that you can play many types of personalities that can be expressed on court while still being mindful. Definitely, Neil. Uh, That's, again, great stuff. And it kind of just reminds me of a great quote from Sun Tzu who uh, said, know your enemy and know yourself and you can fight a hundred battles without disaster. So it's just knowing, you know, what fuels you and what, you know, what what makes you play optimally, and being aware of what's happening is is uh, kind of in line with with your philosophy here. And um, I'm always interested to see how people, you know, because you obviously created, you know, such a you know comprehensive course, and it has uh, many different modules or classes or whatnot. But how did you go about? deciding what needed to be in the course and and what would help tennis players um you know if they followed your your structure well it's actually been a a process of evolution in some ways um i've learned a great deal over the years through 
my interaction with my clients, uh, seeing what's worked for them uh, and, and, and what hasn't worked. So the course has actually evolved in many ways over, over, over the years. The core thing that all of the practices that I teach uh, are getting at is the ability to notice our mental experience, the ability to allow our mental experience to be there, and the ability to refocus on the task in hand. So all mindfulness practices, uh, although they vary uh, in their content and they vary in the way that they get to this result, they're all kind of getting at that idea. So it's this sort of noticing experience, mental experience, allowing it to be there and refocusing on your present moment experience, what you've got to do at that particular time. So uh, as much as the course has varied a lot over the years, I've developed it as I've learned more, I've learned more from my clients. Um, the, the core principles have remained the same. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, the practices that I teach, you know, I can break into three kind of categories. I teach foundational practices, which many people would recognize from um, sort of generic mindfulness courses they may have done for other reasons. So these are things like mindfulness of breathing practice, mindful, uh, a body scan practice. These are kind of core mindfulness practices where you're learning to pay attention to your present moment experience. And you're learning to pay attention to things that happen in your mind and then refocus uh, onto a, a particular thing uh, in the breath meditation. It's the breath on the body scan. It's the sensations in your body. These are foundational practices. Um, I teach a range of concentration practices, which are focused very much on focus, on developing a kind of calm and alert um, uh, mindset uh, and, and developing that ability further to refocus your attention when you want to. And then I teach a range of on-court practices which can actually be used during a match so that you can reconnect with those off-court practices, the foundational practices, the concentration practices. Things that you can use in, I mean these on-court practices are things that you can use in crisis moments that we always face at a match. You know, If you're match point down, any kind of big point you can use it on. You can use it at, well any time really that you're rattled uh, in a match if you're struggling with emotion, or you just want to focus. Uh, you just want to be more present in the match. So, um, yeah. So it's basically getting at you know developing this sort of comprehensive mindfulness skills specific to tennis um, through a variety of practices, but but they're all kind of united with that core thing of noticing developing those noticing skills, allowing skills, and uh, refocusing on the present moment, on your ta the task that you've got to do at that moment. Right. That's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, I personally wake up every day and go to the gym, and then I uh, try to meditate for uh, five to ten minutes. Sometimes I'll use something like Headspace. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it's tough. You know, it's it's something where, like you said, it's like a muscle. You have to constantly work at it so that you can improve just like anything else like your tennis or your uh, your gym work and things like that but that being said um, because this will it's easier than it sounds uh, what it's going to sound like I'm sure but just want to you know go through a, a common scenario with you like you just mentioned crisis moment so let's say sure sure let's say if I'm in a match and I get an easy sitter on a crucial break point and then I you know, hit my forehand and I blast the ball long and then I immediately, like most players do, get a negative thought about what just happened. Um, what, you know, what, what should the reaction be just to make this concrete uh, in, in the situation? Sure. Well, it, in a sense, what I'd be wanting you to do is nothing. Hmm. Ideally, what you want to do is nothing. So um, what we're kind of aiming at here is that we're looking for a place where you'll be able to play, make a mistake, have a negative thought, and move on. Okay. Mm. Um, mindfulness sort of takes uh, as a as a sort of core sort of idea, core principle, um, the 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 idea that basically all of our thoughts and emotions are things that we can't really control. That thoughts and emotions arise. Um, naturally in the mind, but they come sort of, uh, you know, whether we want them to or not. Okay. So 
in the scenario you're talking about, you're playing, you, you, you've missed a shot that you probably should have uh, should have got, um, and you you have a negative thought. From my perspective, as a teacher of, of mindfulness-based tennis psychology, that's fine. If the story ended there, then that's fine, because ultimately you can't be happy about missing a, an easy shot. So it's totally normal to have a negative response. The important thing from my perspective is what do you do next? If you, if you ruminate on that missed shot, if you talk to yourself in a negative way about that missed shot, um, if you find yourself engaging with the negative thought that you had after missing that shot, that is where a problem can arise because suddenly your, your, your mental space is being taken up by a lot of unnecessary thinking. The mindful approach is basically to look at that sort of scenario, notice your, your negative thought and let it go. So it's a thought that's arisen in the mind. You didn't make it arise. It just happens, right? Because we can't, we can't feel happy about missing a shot. We're always going to feel a bit frustrated. Um, the thought has arisen and you let it go. Sounds simple, but how's it developed? It's developed through the practice of mindfulness, which I teach. You know, I teach this over, you know, with my clients, I teach it over usually an eight to 10 week course period. So this is like personalized training in, uh, in the mindfulness-based tennis psychology method. My online course is done over six weeks. Um, and so it takes a bit of time. It takes a bit of time to develop that skill. Um, but in principle, that is basically what you would be doing. I think when you've developed mindfulness skills, you know, you will experience, you're still going to have negative thoughts. They're going to come whether you want them to or not, but you'll be able to let them go and you'll be able to notice if you start ruminating on, um, a negative thought after a missed shot. And you can say to yourself, ah, there I am, I'm ruminating and you can let it go. And that's a skill. It's a mental muscle that you will have developed to enable you to do that. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Right. That's fantastic. And this reminds me as well, a uh, side note, I suppose, of um, when I talked to Tomas Mensinger from fieldtennis.net on way back on episode six, um, he, he, he wrote an article basically saying that we just have to realize that we're not machines and nobody will make every single shot. It is normal to, mm-hmm. you know, miss a certain percentage of shots. And so I think maybe just also thinking about that, and that, you know, we're not going to make everything. So just to, when you miss a shot, recognize that this, this has happened and, and move on, like uh, Neil says. That's, that's great advice. That's yeah. uh, uh, a good way of, I mean, that's very much in keeping with the mindful approach. Of course, it's absolutely true that mistakes are part of tennis. You know, we're going to make mistakes. Even in our greatest match, we're going to make a lot of mistakes. Um, and accepting that as a normal part of the game is, is, is important. Um, and also I think, you know, from the mindful perspective, accepting that you're going to have a a negative thought or two about some mistakes is also fine. It's just that ability to keep, um, an awareness of where the mind is going in those circumstances. And, um, you know, staying mindful is about noticing where the mind is, and if it's going somewhere unhelpful, then we can refocus. We can do something else. So, uh, but I think you're absolutely right. The, the um, accepting mistakes is is a basic uh, a basic part of tennis. That yeah, everybody everybody should definitely um, take that on board. Right, Neil. And this is kind of a reverse question from my statement that I just made. Um, and it's this is a tough one, perhaps. But why do you think the natural uh, reaction is to, um, you know, engage, uh, with yourself when you miss a shot. Why, why do you think that, why, why is that a natural reaction? Um, I think 
it's a complex question, um, but here's my, my thoughts on it. I think that we're taught to a large extent uh, a certain way of thinking, particularly in our Western culture. So we learn from a very young age a problem-solving mode of mind. We learn to try and work things out. Um, now, that's very useful. It's very good in, in many ways. But I think when it comes to mental experience, it can get us into trouble sometimes because if we spend time trying to work out uh, a negative emotion on court, then, well, I think the first obvious thing to say is that we're not going to succeed. You can't think your way out of, you can't really think your way out of a negative mental experience during a tennis match. Um, but it's also it's also just not the right tool for the job. So using a, a, a problem-solving approach to our mental experience tends to exacerbate the problem. We're tinkering with something with the wrong tool mm -hmm. and we're making it worse. The mindful approach is to, to look at mental experience as, uh, well, in a way, less significant. So if we have a negative thought on court, the mindful way to look at that is to say, well, we're having a negative thought. It's a negative thought. It's an event in the mind. It's not inherently significant. We don't have to draw meaning from that uh, if we don't want to. We can just see it as an automatic response, an automatic event in the mind to a missed shot um, and, and move on. So I think it's a large, to a large, to a large extent, it's about the way that we've learnt to deal with our mental experience. And, and it, it, certainly in, in tennis, it just doesn't work. I think that the, the problem-solving mode of mind gets us into trouble. What we want to be doing is really to minimize our cognitive activity. We want to minimize our thinking on court. Because as, as I think most people probably listening will know, think, I mean, think of those moments when you've been playing in the zone, those, those wonderful moments where you kind of slip into uh, an, a sort of unself-conscious place where you're playing good tennis. Uh, things are going well for you. You've got to ask yourself, are you thinking much in those, in those times? You're not. You're not. These are times when the mind is relatively calm. Um, it's a kind of good autopilot, really, that place, the zone. Um, you might have some thoughts. You might have some emotions, but they're kind of distant from you. You're not too engaged with them. This is one of the, I mean, the key things about mindfulness, I think, and the value of mindfulness in sports is that mindfulness is, the, the, the result of practicing mindfulness over time is that you actually do reduce your cognitive activity on court, your thinking. And that's what you want. If you want to play in the zone more often, you need to uh, let go of thinking. You need to let go. You need to put yourself in that situation where your mind is much more likely to slip into the zone, to slip into that place of flow. So, um, yeah, for me, I mean, that's one of the great, one of the great benefits of, of, of mindfulness. You know, we can't force ourselves into the zone, but mindfulness is a way of increasing the chances that we're going to play with flow during matches. Certainly, Neil. I mean, we don't want to be wasting uh, energy on things that won't ultimately produce uh, what we want to happen on court. Um, and it's just kind of like, you know, after a match, if you lose it, you can either ruminate on it for days and torture yourself, or you can be aware of what happened, maybe take some notes on what you can improve the next time and then move on. So Neil, um, you know, I'm very interested in your, the meditation part of, um, of your course. And so I just wanted to ask you about that. And, and, um, I guess before I ask you, I just want to tell everyone that they should definitely check out tennismentalskills.com. Um, right on the front page is a free guided meditation, uh, that you all should definitely, um, again, you know, look at and, and try out. But what's a basic meditation that we can start with that will help us be more mindful? Well, a basic foundational mindfulness meditation, which would give you a really good idea of what mindfulness is about, is the mindfulness of breathing meditation. Um, as you say, there is there's a short guided breathing meditation on my 
on the homepage of my website, tennismentalskills.com. Um, what you're doing in this kind of meditation is you're you're sitting uh, somewhere on a some some you, you want to be sitting probably on something which is like a kitchen chair or a dining chair, better than a sofa, something like that. Because the idea is we're sort of sitting upright, staying awake, uh, which is important. We don't want to fall asleep. We're focusing on our breath. So, you know, you're noticing what it's like to breathe. You might choose a point, say, in on the tip of your nose or noticing the air coming in through your nose and what that feels like. Okay, so the task is to, to do that. Okay, sounds very simple. Just focus on your breath. What, you t what you'll find, of course, is that it's not that easy. Your mind actually will probably wander away to other places, daydreaming or worrying about something or planning something or asking yourself questions about what you're doing. Why am I doing this? This is the whole purpose of the practice. The idea, as I've said about mindfulness, is noticing what goes on in your mind. The mindfulness of breathing is perhaps this most sort of fundamental um, mindfulness practice, which enables you to become acquainted with what your mind does. And your mind will wander. And that's the nature of the mind. That's what the mind does. Not a problem. Um, this practice is not about becoming, uh, you know, uh, a complete uh, master of focusing on the breath. It's much more important to notice where your mind goes when it wanders. And then you bring it back to the breath. And this process happens again and again. Many of the listeners uh, will probably be familiar with this practice, you know, if you've looked into mindfulness, because this is probably the first one the first practice that you'd come across and this is one of the foundational practices that i teach um, and uh, you know these foundational practices are important they support the on-court work that i also teach which are not exactly meditation so what i'm what the on-court work that i do these are things that you'll be doing in, in very short periods of time perhaps before a big point uh, or perhaps at a time when you've missed a shot and you're concerned about that you're thinking about it in a negative way uh, or at any point where you need to focus better in in a match um, so these foundational practices like the breathing practice they support the on-core practice uh, that um, you know the, the, the really sort of crucial practices that are going to get you through uh, get you through in match play uh, in an effective way so yeah that's a good place to start have a think about uh, looking at a, a mindfulness of breathing practice, which will give you a sense of what mindfulness is all about. Fantastic, Neil. And so generally, how long should we meditate for and should we try to increase it to as, as long as we can or what, what's most effective? Well, um, there's not necessarily a definitive answer to that. In, in my course, I encourage people to dedicate 20 minutes a day to the practice during the period of the course so um you know if, if, if people who are doing my online course would be doing 20 minutes a day for six weeks uh, and they'd be doing a variety of different practices in that time um it's a kind of total immersion really because 20 minutes a day is is a commitment you've got to really put that time aside uh to to do it and i realize that i think that um 20 minutes a day, I would say, is kind of like your basic amount. Um, people are always sort of uh, free to do more. But actually, I've seen excellent results on 20 minutes. For people who don't have much time at all or who really struggle with committing 20 minutes a day, if you did 10 minutes a day, you'd still benefit. So you can benefit from doing quite small amounts of mindfulness. But I think that by committing sort of around 20 minutes a day, you're, you're actually giving yourself the uh, the biggest opportunity to learn what this is all about. Um, but, you know, we've got to be flexible as well because our lives can be very busy and, you know, lots of things can get in the way. So, you know, I wouldn't say that there's a definitive amount of time that you have to do. Um, so it's, it's keeping a regular practice, I think, is probably the most important thing rather than necessarily sticking to exactly 20 minutes a day. Sure, sure. And then um, maybe something like 10 in the morning and 10 at night would uh, be okay? Yeah, I mean, you, 
the way that I do it in the course is that there's a variety of practices of different lengths. So um, some of the practices are very short, uh, you know, three or four minutes, um, and some are longer, sort of 10 minutes or so. Um, and, and it's a combination of different practices that you'd be doing in the course every day. But having that routine of 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening can be extremely effective for people. Some people will do the whole lot at one time of the day. Um, you know, as you get, as you progress with the method that I teach, you'll be doing, uh, you know, a series of on-court practices, which are a bit different because you're going to be using those when you're playing. And there isn't necessarily a set amount of time that you need to practice those. You just got to get, you just got to integrate those into your game. Um, so, um, there, there are different, different ways in which this can work, but the basic recommendation is a, a total of 20 minutes a day to get the most out of this method. Fantastic. And as far as, um, I, I suppose it would vary with the person, but as far as seeing results, I mean, well, I guess I just want to comment that, you know, when I first started, uh, after meditating, I just felt uh, amazing, you know, very relaxed and, and more aware of myself, things like that. But, mm. you know, is, is it normal for people to see results uh, fairly quickly from this? Yes, it is normal. And I think that um, or, or it depends on how, how you define quickly, because the course that I'm teaching, as I say, uh, the online course is six weeks. If you if you work with me directly, I teach it a bit longer because I personalize the course and we have a little bit more work to do, I think, on that basis. So we might we might work over eight weeks to 10 weeks. That period of time is actually a very small period of, of training time in the course of someone's tennis career. So in that sense, I would say that there are quick results. Um, do people have instantaneous results? Not generally, no. It is something that requires practice in exactly the same way that if you went to the gym and did one uh, one session, you're not going to uh, benefit very much from that. Um, some people do have a very quick response to it, however. So that some people will do uh, do the course, and after a week or two, will be saying, "Look, this is this is transforming my game already." Um, and you know, so some people really respond to it very quickly. For other people, it takes a little bit more work. In general. Um, I see, you know, substantial results in people after about four weeks, probably about four to five weeks. And then suddenly people are really seeing how this is changing the way they're playing tennis. Um, but it varies. It varies a lot. But overall, it doesn't take that long. It's, it's something which, you know, if you dedicate the time over that period of weeks, then you're setting yourself up with a skill that you're going to have for the rest of your tennis playing career. Um, You've got to keep it going. It's a bit like going to the gym, as we've said, that even after the course is finished, you need to keep practicing it. Um, but the way that you practice it and how long you practice it for is up to you and what works for you. I have certain recommendations about that, but people do it in different ways. All right. Great point, Neil. Uh, you know, this is a, a skill that you can um, benefit from for a lifetime. And it's like anything else. I think a lot of people... Unfortunately, they quit doing things because they expect it to make a difference immediately um, in their match play and such. But uh, if you put in the hard work for a bit, then you will see the results there. Um, can I can I say one thing actually, Mervyn? Yeah. It's a very good point. Very good point you've made. There's one slight thing I'd say that I generally don't use the the phrase hard work when I talk about mindfulness because, in a curious way, mindfulness is not really hard work. Although you have to commit to it and you've got to do the, the practice, it's actually something which is about letting go so that it is a form of uh, relaxation in a way. It's not the aim of, um, of mindfulness practices. We're not aiming to relax. But quite often, the result of doing mindfulness practice is to relax. We, we can often feel relaxed after doing it. Um, so it's, it's a time... When you're practicing mindfulness, it's a time when you're kind of letting things go, letting things go, and you're giving yourself a break. You're not going over and over things in your mind. You're taking a different approach to your experience of life, and that can be, you know, for for, for many people, it can feel like a burden is is being lifted because you're you're suddenly taking a different approach to your experience, your mental experience. So 
I don't, I don't um, refer to it as hard work. And I, I like to encourage people to think of it as something which is quite nourishing. It's a nourishing practice. Um, and, and it's something which can, uh, you know, some people will, you know, it, it does involve challenge and you do have to commit to it, but it's something that people can look forward to, you know, it can be a way of stepping out of your daily routine and, you know, going to a place which is, you know, calmer and, um, you know, a place where you can find some peace. And, uh, so it's a curious balance of commitment, but also what you're doing isn't really work in the conventional sense. Right. I, that's a fantastic clarification. You know, I probably better said, um, you know, consistent practice, as you said, and just committing to the, uh, you know, to the program. Um, one quick question I want to ask you, cause I know you don't have, uh, much time left, uh, here, but, one other scenario for you where let's say tennis players they come up against playing for example like a high seated player um how mm. can we use um you know kind of the philosophy in, in in what you're talking about here to uh help us overcome these types of uh situations that's a really good question and that's a scenario which arises in different forms for me a lot in my coaching work so that particular scenario of, of uh, people who struggle uh, playing against a higher ranked player um, comes up a lot. I also work with a lot of people who struggle against lower ranked players. Mm. You know, that's an interesting one because, you know, something that famously John McEnroe struggled with a lot, which was, you know, he really didn't like those matches, the first and second round of Wimbledon, where he'd be playing against some guy, you know, ranked 100 in the world because there was that mental pressure that he had to win. Everyone expected him to win. So these are the kind of things that, that come up again and again in, in my coaching work. Um, the key thing with these kind of things is that what we're looking for is to treat all our mental experience in the same way. We want to take a mindful approach to all of our mental experience. So what is it? So when you're on court, when you're facing an opponent who's, who's higher ranked than you, and this is intimidating you in some way, or you feel like, you know, how am I going to beat this guy? Or maybe you have thoughts like, I can't beat this guy. Mm -hmm. um, those are just thoughts. That's all they are. They're thoughts. They're very powerful thoughts. Okay. But they're not the truth. They're just thoughts in our mind. Now, they're understandable because sometimes it can be intimidating if we're facing an opponent who is a very, very strong player, perhaps ranked much higher than us. Of course, that's going to present a challenge to us. We're going to have thoughts about that. But what mindfulness is all about is developing a kind of equanimity to our, me our mental experience. We're, we're treating, um, as far as we can, all of our mental experience in the same way. We're noticing it. And we're allowing it to be there. So we don't want to get rid of uh, our, our experience at all. It's arisen in our minds pretty much automatically. Those thoughts you know, are, are, are going to be there. If you're playing in that match, you're going to have those thoughts. The key thing is how do you respond to those thoughts? Can you let them be there? Can you just allow them to be there, to pass through the mind, to fade in and out as they probably will do? And just focus on your game, playing your game, because that's what's going to give you the greatest chance of success and doing well against uh, a difficult opponent. So the practices that I teach are very much, um, uh, you know, focused on building an awareness of our mental experience um, and learning how to sort of treat our difficult thoughts in a particular way, not reading great significance into them, just noticing them as thoughts or series of thoughts or emotions, series of emotions occurring and allowing that process to go on in your mind, but not getting involved in it. Okay. So that's very, that's, the, that's the approach that, that, that we take, you know, that's, that's how, how to, how I deal with those kind of problems and it works. It works because ultimately you're not going to, if you have that experience on court where you're playing against somebody 
and they're intimidating to you for whatever reason. Ultimately, uh, you just have to focus on your your game, focus on your game plan. Um, if you you know any kind of engagement with the idea that that person's better than me or I'll never beat them, isn't going to help. So, but having that thought in the first place is fine because you can't stop that thought from coming. So that's pretty much how you know in, in a basic explanation how how, how I would. Uh, approach those kind of uh, of problems, and I've seen it again and again that people, you know, when they develop a mindful approach to those kind of mental experiences, they do a lot better. Wonderful, Neil. I, I think that's really going to help players uh, again. Just you know, not waste energy on on these types of uh, thoughts too much, and and focus, like you said, on their game plan and executing uh, their strategies and what they need to do to win. Uh, so that's really appreciated. Um, I know you have to run soon, so I just want to ask you, you know, you've given us so much great information today, but what's one key tip that you can give our audience uh, to help them improve their tennis games? Focus on the mental side of tennis, okay? So this is, I know it sounds obvious, we've been talking about it for about an hour, but <laughs> this is, it's so important because it's overlooked. It's overlooked quite a lot. So people think, yeah, I've got to develop my fitness that's fine. There's no question about that. You've got to develop your fitness. And people will think, I've got to develop my technique. Yes, you've got to do that. Um, don't overlook the mental side of tennis. You'll be, you know, it has extraordinary um, benefits. If you doubt that, look at Novak Djokovic. Um, there, are, there are a range of other top players who have trained mentally. The fact that they don't talk about it very much um, does not mean that they're not doing it. So there's a great deal of mental training that does does go on they just don't talk about it um it doesn't matter what kind of player you are you might be an elite player you might be a beginner you can benefit substantially from mental training and you know here's another thing that i always say to my clients okay mental training is not just about improving your results okay it's not just about improving your uh, ability to play in the zone it's also about maximizing your ability to enjoy game because when we struggle with difficult emotions like nerves or anger uh, on court or if we struggle with choking or any other kind of problem like that mental problem on court it's painful right it hurts it's horrible it spoils the pleasure that we can take in the game and tennis you know this is uh, you know i'm assuming because everyone listening to this show loves tennis right and it's it's we want to enjoy it to the maximum when we, when we develop mental skills, uh, and particularly, you know, obviously I teach mindfulness-based uh, skills, these help us to enjoy our tennis to the maximum, okay? And I see this again and again, people who've struggled with the mental side of tennis, or even players who just come to me and say, look, I, I want, I'm not struggling with anything in particular mentally, I just want to um, be the best that I can be when I'm nervous on match point or something like that, okay? Time and again, people come back to me and they say, look, I'm enjoying playing tennis more now. This is great. And, you know, so that's another side of it. That's another side of the mental, uh, of mental training, which brings these sort of wonderful benefits. So, um, yeah, to sum that up, really consider focusing on mental training. It's really important. Love that, Neil. And it also this training will uh, transfer to other parts of your life as well. So, you know, you won't only, I mean, you use this to, to play better tennis and enjoy the game. And you can also use this, uh, these philosophies to help you in your life and, and other uh, professional and, and other decisions. So it's wonderful. Um, so Neil, where can we find uh, you online? Well, you can come to my website at tennismentalskills.com. And there you'll find all the details about me and the method that I teach, mindfulness-based tennis psychology. Um, and, um, you know, you can uh, download the online course through my website. If you're interested in uh, coaching, just drop me a line and we will set up a chat and um, uh, we can take things from there. So, you know, um, yeah, check, check it out and uh, look forward to speaking to you if you're interested in getting in touch. Fantastic, Neil. I, you know, I just want to thank you so much for uh, helping our audience uh, under, better understand how they can, uh, you know, play better tennis through uh, this mindfulness-based tennis psychology uh, method. And I highly encourage everybody to check out 
uh, Neil's website, tennismentalskills.com, and his uh, MBTP course as well. And, uh, yeah, just thanks for everything you do, Neil. I really appreciate you coming on the show and hope to speak with you again soon. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Neil. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Neil Endicott from TennisMentalSkills.com. I really appreciate Neil coming on to the show today and uh, teaching us about mindfulness-based tennis psychology. And I'd really appreciate it if you guys would subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast, uh, whether that's through iTunes or whatever uh, podcast app you use to listen to the show. And uh, I always love leaving you guys with a quote at the end of the show when I can remember to do that. And uh, today's quote is from Eckhart Tolle. And uh, please excuse me if I mispronounce that name. Uh, And he said, In today's rush, we all think too much, seek too much, want too much, and forget about the joy of just being. Thanks, guys. And uh, if you want the show notes uh, for this episode, you can go to tennisfiles.com slash 44. All right. Well, uh, it's a pleasure uh, having you all listen to the show. And uh, I look forward to having you listen into the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.